Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NGSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day, a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I'll be your host this morning. Today, we will uh, not only be taking your calls, but we also have our chat room feature open. I think this will give you another vehicle in which to participate in the show. Christy Tai will be taking the calls this morning. Christy, can you please explain the process? I sure will. Good morning, Ray. Uh, now, if you want to call in, just dial one three four seven nine eight nine. 8904. Again, it's 1347-989-8904. And if you're ready to make a comment or ask us a question, just press 1 on your phone. That will indicate on our switchboard that you want to talk. I'll get your name and I'll get your question or topic. And if you're on the phone line, just remember to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there's a delay and sometimes it's confusing. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. To log into the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. As some of my regular listeners know, uh, most of our shows have to deal with current educational issues and legislative issues, but from time to time we have shows that deal with the issues that school districts and school board members deal and grapple with on a day-to-day basis. I know that when I do those shows, I hear from listeners that they really learned something and brought it back to their uh, administration and board. Today's show is one of those shows as we discuss the Open Public Meetings Act or the Sunshine Law, a law that has guided local boards of education on how to conduct meetings for over 30 years. There has been some recent court rulings in regard to Open Public Meetings Act that may, I use the word may, change what we know about the law. In addition, for newer board members and even veterans, there are always new nuances that come up and, and we all need to be aware of. To discuss the Sunshine Law and its application, I am pleased to have with us Nicholas Tatoli, a school board attorney with the law firm of Schwartz, Simon, Edelstein, and Kelso. Uh, welcome, Nicholas. Thank you, Ray. Good morning. Good morning. Um, uh, before we get started on the, the, the law, just I know you're a school board attorney and I know that you, your law firm does quite a bit of work with a lot of school districts. Uh, before you were a school board attorney, what Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. I, I began my career in state government uh, as a certificated chief school administrator in 1997 as an aide to the Assembly Education Committee. I moved, therefore, to the Department of Education. I spent 10 years as a policy and planning associate, and I joined private practice uh, as counsel to Short Time Edelstein in 2008. Okay. So I bring with me some regulatory experience and legislative experience and uh, have uh, wrapped it up in the current framework in the private sector where, uh, you know, a large percentage of my work is dedicated to school board representation and certain salient topics that we're discussing today. Obviously, executive and open sessions, the uh, Title X and the Open Public Meetings Act are certainly uh, strong considerations for a lot of my clients on a regular basis. Without a doubt, uh, the Open Public Meeting Act is a guiding law for how school districts, and I should uh, put in their other governing bodies too, for that matter, uh, advertise and conduct their meetings. What is the spirit, the essence, and the reason for the law? Sure. I'm, you know, in the 70s, the legislature adopted what a lot of people, I refer to Title X, attorneys refer to Title X as the Sunshine Law. Uh, 
you know, look, the Open Public Meetings Act, like the Open Public Records Act, is all towards the legislature's commitment for the right of the public, you know, to be present at meetings of public bodies because the presence in the legislature's minds and most reasonable minds enhances the decision-making process. The public should be part of what public entities are, are doing uh, and at times, more often than not, expending public taxpayer funds. And that was really the idea of the, the, the public workings of school boards, of municipalities, should be something that the public has an opportunity to witness firsthand if they want. Um, although this topic and this agenda is not about Title 47 and the Open Public Records Act, the same proposition exists. The public should be part and should have a knowledge of what government entities keep in terms of records in the regular course of business. All right, so it's designed to let the public view the decision-making process. Uh, but there are exceptions where, for good government uh, and good management, uh, boards of education and other entities have to go into executive or closed session. Uh, but that's regulated as to what are the topics in that. So can you briefly just go over the, the topics that we can discuss, that sure. school districts can sure, discuss absolutely. in closed session? Look, just as we have the, the same proposition that the public should be entitled to firsthand witness the inner workings of municipalities and school boards, there are clear times where the interests of that school board or municipality would be compromised if they were discussed in a public forum. Uh, Title 10 exempts approximately nine categories that should be in a closed or executive session. You briefly, you know, any matters rendered confidential by relevant state or federal law, um, state uh, issues regarding, you know, invasion of personal privacy. We, a lot of times we deal with personnel matters on a school board level. Uh, preliminary discussions regarding purchasing, leasing, acquisition of property, bank rates, anything that's deliberative uh, in the initial process that might compromise negotiations, uh, collective bargaining negotiations uh, prior to actually ratification of an agreement. Uh, any type of deliberations after a public hearing, uh, attorney-client privilege, of course, where the attorney is giving active advice, uh, is is always shielded from public discussion. Um, I've heard uh, board members and others. Uh, there's always a touchy subject uh, that they don't like to discuss out publicly, but if it doesn't fit into those categories, you really have to just discuss it in public even if it, you don't feel like doing it, correct? Ray, my, my advice to my clients, absolutely. If you do not find an enumerated exemption from disclosure, I had this with a client recently in Essex County where we were talking about specific, it came up in a committee of a whole setting, we were talking about uh, specific issues relative uh, to fire and security uh, you have to make a legal judgment, and you have to have uh, an attorney present who's an active participant at your public entity, in this case your board meeting, and know that certain uh, instances in this example, uh, you know, issues that would compromise security are clearly part of an executive session, in my legal opinion, uh, rather than an open forum. But unless you find one of these enumerated examples, 
the good advice is keep it in public at all times. You might uh, delve into those fields at times where you feel as though you might have to stop conversations in public and convening to executive, but most times you're going to find board members uh, seeking advice about issues. Uh, most times you're going to find that those issues will not fall into one of the enumerated exceptions, and as you said correctly, they're going to be compelled into public. Uh, once we've decided that the board administration, maybe with the consultation of the board attorney, that it's an executive session item, how do you advertise that and announce that you're going into it? Does that have to be a little more specific than some people think? Well, that probably brings us to the new legal framework that faces school boards throughout the state of New Jersey. Um, and I'll, I'll approach that topic when asked, but it's, it's uh, responsive to your question. Historically, our notice of executive session topics has been relatively sparse. Attorney-client privilege, existing litigation, personnel matters. That landscape has changed significantly for all of our school board clients throughout the state of New Jersey, and that's the effect of uh, the Superior Court of New Jersey, the appellate division's ruling in uh, the McGovern versus Rutgers case, which I will address uh, in due course. But that, that case adds a level of specificity that's required of noticing the public for our executive session discussions. No longer under this legal framework are school boards entitled to be vague. Uh, they have to notice the public with specificity, and I could discuss that uh, in terms of specific examples if you wish. Yeah, uh, for our listeners, uh, as I stated earlier, the Open Public Meeting Act applies to other entities, and so rulings outside of school districts affect you, and uh, there was a case brought before Rutgers University uh, by the plaintiff McGovern. Why don't you explain what the uh, McGovern's complaints were to the Rutgers? Sure. And, you know, as a school board attorney, I constantly refer to school boards. Obviously, Ray, you say very correctly, the same proposition holds true for municipal bodies as well. And the reason that McGovern versus Rutgers is obviously an interesting case is because it's before the Board of Governors for Rutgers University. It's not a school board. So I'll open that dialogue up and I'll be respectful of the fact we're talking about all government bodies. Uh, Francis McGovern's issues with the Board of Governors and Rutgers dealt with the specificity in which the public was given notice of how the Board of Governors convened into executive, what they were discussing, were they truly exempted topics, and a large part of uh, the issue brought by the plaintiff was the sequencing. Uh, how were public sessions versus executive sessions advertised? Did the public know with some reasonable certainty when the Board of Governors would reconvene into a public session so they could witness, as we discussed at the beginning of this program, the, the public discussions of the Board of Governors? Uh, were they given an actual time? Um, were they given sufficient notice to say that, I want to be part of these discussions but I don't want to necessarily wait two hours for a body to come out of executive session. Uh, what are my rights as a member of the public in seeing what this entity is going to discuss in a public forum and how am I noticed of same? Uh, there's a lot of issues there. 
And we're certainly deconstructing. And we'll go, we'll go through a lot of these one by one. Uh, I just want to, for our listeners, we're talking to uh, Nicholas Detoli, uh an attorney, school board attorney. And if you're interested in asking him a question, dial one one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press the number one, and that will indicate to our switchboard that you have a question. Uh, what did the court rule uh, in the McGovern case on the the notice, the issue of adequacy of notice? As it stands right now, as just as uh, a precursor for your clients, you should know this is an appellate decision. Uh, February of 2011, the Supreme Court of New Jersey has granted cert, which for our non-attorney listeners means that the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments. Uh, Although this is, Ray, our current landscape and our current law, it's subject to change. The Supreme Court has jurisdiction to override this decision. That said, uh, you know, the appellate division said, number one, that the adequacy of the notice for executive session for the Board of Governors in this decision was not specific enough. Uh, Query, if I'm going to go into an executive session, noticing the public that I'm going to discuss attorney-client privilege matters is not sufficient. Simply having me as an attorney in a municipal body or in a school board in a closed session is not enough to evoke attorney-client privilege. The attorney must be giving actual legal advice, privileged communications to his client. Second, uh, the Board of Governors and Rutgers would commonly uh, convene for their open session. Uh, They would then notice the public of an executive session that would span an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, the public would not have a clear understanding of when that public body would reconvene into open session, and they were not given any type of notice, including time in which they would come back into public, and members of the public would often leave or not have an opportunity to witness, as we said, the public workings of the Board of Governors. And and the appellate division said that if you're going to convene into these executive sessions, you need to notice with specificity what time you will reconvene into public So we are in the spirit of Title X, the Sunshine Law. The public can participate in these types of discussions. The public can participate in a public comment period, which is required pursuant to Title X for our school board clients at every meeting. And the good legal advice, I think, is here. Even those meetings where a municipal body or a school board intends to convene most of the meeting, if not the entire meeting, in executive session, you must have a period set aside for public comment. Uh, And that proposition holds true. Say you're doing a superintendent search or superintendent interview. Most of that is going to be convened into executive session. That public entity is required to set apart a time uh, to be determined by that entity for the public to comment on agenda or non-agenda items. Isn't that, from my dealing, I used to be a field service rep, my dealing with boards, sometimes they go into closed session and they really don't know how long they're going to be in there. Sometimes they think they're going to be in there 10 minutes and they're in there 40 minutes, and sometimes they think they're going to be in there 40 minutes and they're out in 10. Absolutely. Uh, but, but this seems to, they have to be well-focused on that now. Am I correct now? Or more aware of their timing? 
Ray, you're absolutely correct. It's very, very difficult to predict how public entities uh, are going to conduct themselves in executive, what types of questions are going to be raised, uh, witnesses to the degree you have disciplinary matters or personnel matters, what types of questions they're going to be asking their legal counsel. My good practice is if you feel like you're going to exceed the time that you've noticed the public reconvene, uh, alert the public that you're going to be uh, for another 15, 20, 30 minutes and do your best to reconvene into public to make sure the public is aware the best practice, I think, for all of our, our municipal bodies is to make sure that they know that they have a public comment period, that executive session is held at a time that does not have a chilling effect on the participation of the public, i.e., have it earlier, don't have it at 10.30 at night. And at the same point, if you're going to convene for personnel or, or private executive business, let the public know with some reasonable certainty uh, when you're coming back, and have the courtesy of alerting the public if you're going to exceed that time frame. Uh, we have a caller, and uh, I'm very honored because it's one of our staff members, so I guess they listen to the show every once in a while. Uh, John Burns, uh, who's an attorney with New Jersey School Board Association. John, uh, I think you wanted to comment on uh, what the, associate, the association's view on this uh, case. Well, yes, Ray. Thank you very much for uh, allowing me to call in. Uh, basically, the association is participating in the uh, case before the Supreme Court as an amicus uh, participant, in other words, a friend of the court, and the NJSBA has prepared a brief um, to the court, uh, in part talking about this sequencing issue that the appellate division um, said needed to occur. In the appellate division decision, they said that it was important for the um, board to uh, have its open session before commencing any closed session. And as a practical matter uh, for boards of education, that can sometimes be difficult to do, um, particularly if you're, if you're dealing with, uh, let's say, a particular student issue or a personnel issue. Um, if uh, your closed session uh, doesn't uh, start until after the open session in every in every instance you could be dealing with a student issue um, uh, very late at night and parents and and the student involved could be there waiting for a decision um, and this can be very um, inconvenient and it can, it can be disruptive um, for the board and finally because boards are obligated to hold their votes uh, in open session. It requires then an open session after that closed session, and um, the appellate division made no um, provision for an additional open session after the closed session. And so the appellate division did not provide uh, enough direction for boards of education in this matter. Uh, Nicholas, uh your thoughts on the on the sequencing and the problems that it might create for uh, so many bodies? John raises some very very important points, and and Ray, you know, I've given you my perspective and my good counsel to my clients, understanding that the McGovern versus Rutgers case is our legal framework 
and that's how we are bound. However, John raises some very, very important points for the mechanics of this meeting. Look at a very clear example. New Jersey's new very comprehensive policy statute on harassment, intimidation, and bullying. There's a required report to the Board of Education. Clearly, we are implicating very significant student privacy matters that are protected by federal statute FERPA and relevant provisions of 6A32. We might, in a public forum, very well meet uh, on, a, on a regular basis uh, the issue where members of that board want information on how a di the district is addressing issues of harassment, intimidation, and bullying. They need to be reported publicly, but as John very correctly says, that might take the format of convening an executive session early prior to public participation. There might be other matters on that agenda for which that board member or particular board members need specific legal counsel. It makes sense at times that executive session would occur first. John also very correctly says that pursuant to Robert's rules of order, there is absolutely no provision for a public entity to take any type of vote with the, except, uh, with the exception of tenure charges or the certification of tenure charges in an executive or closed session. So very likely if a board were to take some type of action following executive session, John notes that a board would have to reconvene in order to take a public vote, which happens in an open session only, and that might occur very late in the night depending on how the executive session is held. So there are a lot of unanswered questions, especially since this case deals with a board of governors and not so much with the school board of education that has these variety of, of other types of implications, as John has correctly noted. So what you're saying is the, the workings of the Rutgers Board of Governors and their, their work is a little bit different than uh, a school district and or a municipality. And this ruling, even though it will have an effect on school districts, uh, might be based on a, a framework that doesn't work as well for the school districts. I think that's very correctly correctly stated. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so as we move forward, you know, we're talking, for our listeners, we're talking with Nicholas Detoli and actually now John Burns. Uh, Nicholas is attorney with Schwartz, Simon, Edelstein, and, and Kelso, and John Burns is attorney with New Jersey School Board Association. Um, and if you want to call in, dial 1347-989-8904 and press 1 for a question. Um, so what are, what are the implications for the school districts uh, that they should be aware of the changes? And you alluded to some of them already. Uh, about how to advertise. Anything else that they should be aware of? My, my comments to my districts are pretty formulaic to the degree we navigate this law, which may be changed in the future. If you can at all prepare your agenda to have a public comment period once you properly open the public forum, you open in terms of advertising with adequate notice, you state in detail the time, place, and manner in which the notice was provided. Nothing which has changed under Title X since its adoption in the early 70s. Have your public comment earlier. Allow the public to comment on agenda and non-agenda items, if at all possible. Notice the public in detail about your executive session topics. 
if you're going to be discussing a particular bargaining unit and negotiations, state that in detail, not necessarily the discussions, of course, but the name of the, name of the bargaining unit. If you're discussing a particular litigation matter, you're not going to divulge to the public issues that might compromise that litigation, but divulge the caption. If you're going to discuss personnel or other types of issues for which individuals have been given uh, rights notifications to terms of condition of employment, keep that generic. Discuss that strictly as personnel. The McGovern decision does not disrupt the proposition that personnel matters are indeed privileged and noticing the public that they're going to be discussing personnel generically uh, per La France, a, a former uh, court case, is not improper. As we said earlier, notice the public of when you will reconvene into this public session, into the public forum, so they can actively participate in the inner workings of the municipal body or the school board and in the intent of, of seeing government business, which is really the trajectory behind Title X. If you feel as though it is necessary based on the workings of your municipal body or your school board to immediately convene into an executive session, I think the best practice for all of these bodies is at the prior meeting to notice the public that you will be, of course, opening the meeting publicly, but you will not only entertain public comment, thereafter you will immediately uh, engage uh, into an executive session with specific notice of what you'll be discussing, of course, none of which will be compromising privacy rights, mm -hmm. and have that on the subsequent agenda so the public is aware that in two weeks following your school board meeting, for example, there will be a brief public comment but for a certain enumerated period of time, that body will convene into a private session that is not open. So it seems you have to be a little bit more proactive and really think out your meetings well, at least the layout of the meeting, in advance. I think uh, that's the best uh, practice to right to the now. Public. Yeah. John, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I mean, the key, as Nick pointed out, is that boards need to plan ahead. And boards need to be able to really think about what activities they are undertaking at their board meetings going forward so that they can comply uh, with these requirements. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be difficult to say with a, a student incident, sometimes that occurs like a day or two before the board meeting, uh, and it's a series that the board has to be in closed session about, and so and there's not a lot of information, so wouldn't that be difficult for the board to kind of like judge how much time it's going to be and all that stuff? Either one of you? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, very. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to say that that's precisely um, one of the issues that uh, that we have with um, the appellate division decision in McGovern is uh, their their uh, conclusions take out a lot of that flexibility um, that it is, we believe, in the statute itself that the legislature intended for there to be a balance between the public interest and the um, working of the uh, municipality or school district. 
John very correctly. Yes, sir. Ray, John very correctly states there are more times than not issues facing school boards. Look, I mentioned the new law for harassment, intimidation, and bullying. Uh, we have parallel tracks here. We still have our uh, required due process uh, pursuant to relevance uh, provisions of uh, code that require a 30-day hearing if we put a student out on a 10-day suspension. And there are going to be times in which that student hearing is going to be scheduled. Uh, we're not going to know of it at the, the prior board meeting. And that public session resolution will need to be amended to reflect uh, those adjustments. And my, my uh, suggestion here is you could do the best to notify your public from a transparency perspective at your prior meeting. There is nothing. Uh, that is inappropriate in amending that resolution to the degree we have this legal framework in front of us uh, to, you know, obviously comport with the requirements of what a public body needs to do in a closed session. And I think John really speaks to the spirit of how this case transposed onto school boards does not reflect the intricacies of what happens on any given day in a district for a Board of Education, and that's why I think uh, oral arguments are completely appropriate to really flush out some of these inconsistencies and unanswered questions for our school board clients. Yeah, it's, it does change the, the landscape for them. Well, this is not a complete ruling, so w where does, the, of course, the case uh, sit right now, and when will we have some clarity? John, do you want to take? I don't want to speak over you since I know that you're well, working. Um, uh, right now, the as Nick pointed out at the beginning of the show, the um, Supreme Court has granted uh, certification to the case. In other words, um, the court has agreed to hear uh, the dispute. Um, as of uh, today, they have not yet set a um, date for oral argument yet. Um, and uh, when when that occurs. Um, uh, then um, the litigants involved and many of the um, groups that are participating as friends of the court uh, will be able to present their views. Um, so it's difficult to, to determine exactly what the timeline is uh, for the court at this juncture. But the school district should uh, be playing it kind of safe and uh, following the last ruling because that's the rule, uh, that's the law. Yes, as as a general rule, um, when a when a court comes out with a decision uh, that is binding on uh, boards of education, um, their their best practice is to uh, try to comply with that ruling uh, to the extent uh, practicable, and to uh, follow the advice of their uh, board attorneys like uh, like uh, Nicholas here. All right. Uh, before we move on from the Rutgers uh, case. Uh, Nicholas, uh, was there anything else that the board should be aware of, or even the public should be aware of, for that matter, on on this case and how it affects us that I didn't touch on? Right. Ray, I think the common is we, we have a new landscape in many different directions for our municipal and school board clients. And my advice is, time and again, be rational, take a deep breath, and relax. Uh, when in doubt, seek through your chain of command board counsel's advice. We have a framework that's not ideal, um, but 
we have people we could rely on to make sure that we're in compliance. When in doubt, err on the side of transparency. Make sure that that transparency at no time compromises private personnel matters. But seek good board counsel in making sure that your executive session resolutions are detailed enough to comply with this decision to the degree it's current law. And make sure that you give your public the opportunity to participate, whether it's the public forum, uh, whether it's an opportunity to know that if it's uh, an executive session that's going to be held for one hour, there's a clear time frame in which that public entity will reconvene into the public to take action so your members of the public can participate. It's the spirit of Title X. It's the spirit of the Sunshine Law. Look, whatever the Supreme Court decides, we're still going to have Title X and its provisions, uh, its intent. We are going to readdress, hopefully, some of the sequencing issues, some of the timings of executive session. But for now, we can work through this. We can give good advice to our clients, uh, and school boards do not have to uh, determine all of these uh, intricacies by themselves. Seek good counsel. Make sure your public is aware. And again, uh, if you if you err on the side of transparency, you will most times be safe. All right. Um, when, uh, I had a listener email me a question uh, because he, he couldn't listen live, and it has to deal. With, and this is kind of legislatively uh, an issue too. There's been talk from the legislature about making committee meetings uh, public uh, and opening those up. Where do we stand with uh, – I don't know if there's any legislation like that now, but our committee, committee meetings now are almost like an executive session, and this, districts can hold those as, uh, in private, right? Uh, I'll interject, and, and John, please uh, feel free to you know comment or uh, correct any interpretation Executive, um, executive session meetings typically involve the quorum, the, uh, the entirety of our elected officials or our appointed officials. Committee meetings are pursuant to board policy. Some of my clients choose to operate as a committee of the whole, where they report out in a public forum all of their individual subcommittees. Some of my clients find it more expeditious and prudent to have committee meetings, uh, which indeed are not a quorum as to violate any of the provisions of the Sunshine Law, where they actually convene, they discuss agenda items, and then report them to the Board of Education. Uh, as I have clients who have committee meetings that are not part of the committee of the whole, which are open to the public. As long as you're clear with your board policy on how this is adopted, as long as you do not involve a quorum of that Board of Education in a closed session committee meeting, that entity is not in a, power, uh, in a position to bind the Board of Education in any capacity, and you would not see any violation of the Open Public Meetings Act. Uh, it's uh, really pursuant more to board policy, in my legal opinion. Now, I had, uh, and I'll let John answer after this. I, I remember someone telling me a couple of years ago, they had a, it was a seven-member board, they had three board members there, and uh, a board member, another board member, not member of the committee, came in to listen. Does that constitute a quorum of the board now? Uh, he wasn't yeah. participating, but it... 
Is that that three member out of your seven member board does not constitute a quorum of your board, uh, could not bind that seven member board. But uh, another board member walked into the committee meeting. What happens then? Uh, well, at that point, we, you know, we have to understand our committee structures. Our board president, uh, you know, pursuant to board policy and Robert's rules, is, a, is permitted to make committee assignments. Uh, those committee assignments should never constitute a quorum of the board. And at the same point, that board president is an ex officio member, not a participant per se, on all of those committee assignments. But to the degree, you know, we, we, have, to be, we have to be rational here. To the degree that other board member walks in and is not actively making decisions that bind the Board of Education, um, we're not seeking violations. Uh, you know, the, the issue is here, do not have a majority member of the, of the Board of Education convene into some type of subcommittee uh, query. Do not have a majority of your Board of Education exchanging email communications about board business it's a similar violation of the Open Public Meetings Act. It's not toward the goal of transparency, which, which I think is really the theme of today's right. conversation. John, did you want to add something? Well, uh, the only thing I would add is that when we think of the Sunshine Law, we really go to this issue of transparency, but also of maintaining the public confidence. And to that end, whenever there is something that a Board of Education um, has a question about. They need to really look at, you know, what is the goal here with regard to transparency and what is the goal with regard to um, maintaining the public confidence. And, um, you know, when it comes to committee meetings, uh, it is certainly something to be wary of, you know, to make sure that it's less than a quorum of the, of the Board. Uh, that uh, is participating in that meeting so that uh, there is not an appearance of trying to uh, subvert the requirements of the Sunshine Law. And with regard to the, um, uh, the caller's question about uh, committees being subject to the Sunshine Law, there is a um, bill that uh, has been in the uh, state legis legislature sponsored by Senator Weinberg um, that would um, make committees subject to um, many more of the uh, reporting requirements um, under the Sunshine Law than they currently are. Uh, John brings up a good point uh, on on the committees. What is the requirement for their their report of minutes and, and such? If we're talking about transparency, I think members of the public might say, or members of the board say, sometimes the committees where a lot of the decisions, or at least the the discussion is held. Uh, what are the requirements for committee minutes, uh, Nick, Nicholas? Sure. I have to say I would be remiss if I didn't say I love having John here as part of this commentary. Hopefully we'll repeat this session because he not only implicitly sort of agrees with me at times, but he says it in a more concise fashion that I, that I agree with. So I appreciate, I appreciate this dialogue this morning. Thank you, John. Um, we don't again, you're well, you John, know, concise at work, so that's good. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate that. It's it's really subject, to, you know, it's subject to board policy. I don't want to be repetitive, um, but the idea uh, and the spirit of, you know, your individual boards are going to uh, adopt policies that allow their committees to function, uh, you know, with good counsel from their attorneys in a way in which gets business done expeditiously and has 
the ability to report back to the full board. And notwithstanding the existing uh, legislation, as John has uh, pointed out, the best practice is let the committees convene in either a committee of the whole or in individual subcommittees. Best practices make sure that that information, however it's pondered, is reported to the full board for consideration by that entire entity. Uh, you know, John, in light of the existing litigation uh, legislation, rather. Uh, if you want to certainly add to that or correct me, please feel free to do so. No, no, I, I agree completely with what you're saying. Um, some, of it, you know, in the in the McGovern case, McGovern versus Rutgers case, how we handle the it seems like to me at least how we handle the public comment section, how we handle the public is very important because a lot of these cases come from the public feeling shunned. Um, during a public comment period, is there any advice that you would give to the school districts, uh, Nicholas, first? Yeah. Um, you know, my clients time and again, Ray, ask, you know, I have members of the public that are mating, making qualitative judgments about board members, about staff members. The the quandary that we have for so many of my, of my clients, school board clients throughout the state is, of course, they're guided by the School Ethics Act. Uh, they're guided by relevant rights notifications for employees, privacy concerns. But with our landscape today and, and the notable decisions that have been handed down, most probably um, uh, referencing uh, Bessler versus West Windsor Plainsboro, boards of education can regulate constitutionally time, place, manner. Boards of regulation can regulate how long members uh, of the public can speak, whether that's a 30-minute block with three minutes per participant. But board members and boards of education cannot regulate content, and that's crucial. And the, you know, the relevant decisions, uh, board policies cannot include comments or, or, or um, directives such as the board will censure personally directive comments. Uh, boards of education may hear all comments from uh, a public member um, that are not uh, content regulated. Um, at that time, of course, they can at any moment um, censure an individual for someone who disorderly uh, interrupts some type of public session of the Board of Education in some type of lawful disruption, uh, procession, he or she is acting to obstruct or interfere. But short of that criminal 2C provision, boards of education have to be very careful in regulating anything that's beyond time, place, and manner um, in terms of content. Uh, the Bessler decision speaks to the proposition that members of the public can speak repeatedly uh, about issues that might uh, involve character judgments of school board members uh, or district employees. Uh, John, do you have any comments uh, to follow that up on? Well, all of this gets to uh, what might be a, a great frustration for board members because uh, when uh, they hear um, a comment being made uh, with regard to uh, a member of the staff or 
some sort of uh, programmatic issue within the district, that can be uh, that can be quite um, uh, uh, infuriating at times uh, when you're dealing with um, passionate issues. But board members really need to demonstrate uh, control in that environment because, as Nicholas says, you, we, we can regulate as boards of education time, place, and manner. But in terms of the content of uh, what's said in those comment periods, uh, you know, it can in one sense be very difficult for board members to, in one sense, divorce themselves from that and and and, and hear those comments. But uh, nonetheless, the uh, Sunshine Law uh, does require um, board members to. I'm going to have to inter- I'm going to have to interject on time here because in time, place, and manner, we're coming to the end of the show. So I only have 20 seconds. So I'd like to thank Nicholas Tatoli for uh, from the law firm of Schwartz, Simon Edelstein, and Kelso for joining us. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you. If I ever needed chief of staff uh, in any capacity, John, you got the job. So thank you. Oh, very thank much. you. <laughs> okay, thank you, John, and uh, you. join us next week on our show. Uh, we'll have a special guest on uh, teacher evaluations. Thank you. Thank you for having me.